This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. It is whiteout week in Happy Valley. We're happy to be with you. Gearing up for a big Penn State game on Saturday night and for the third consecutive season, ESPN's College Game Day crew going to make their way to State College and set up shop here. So a lot going on around town. You can feel the buzz. We're fresh out of the press conference where we spoke with James Franklin and lineman PJ Mustafer and uh, Steven Gonzalez. So a little bit more insight on, on where this team is at right now. Uh, Sean Fitz always has plenty of insight. And Sean, uh, Penn State, number seven, they jump up three spots after that win at Iowa, which we broke down in detail very late on Saturday night. Thanks to those who listened late Saturday night with us and stayed up late with us and those who picked it up Sunday morning. Gotten a lot of traffic on that one. Great to see people interested in hearing what we have to say, but uh, we got a lot more to get to and turning the page. Penn State, Sean, believe it or not, the season gets late in a hurry. One of only 12 unbeaten teams left among 130 squads in the FBS. Well, you're just glossing over the lead here. It's XFL draft week, and you didn't mention that at all. So, hey, by the way, congratulations to Matt McGloin, uh, part of the New York Guardians. And DeAndre Tompkins got drafted in the fourth round, but I forget who we went to. We'll figure out uh, where. So we'll, we'll figure that out eventually. Uh, Penn State 6-0, and of course. Uh, yeah, jumped in the polls. A little surprised that Georgia dropped as far as they did just because of how that thing works. I mean, I think they deserve to drop based off of losing to South Carolina. Um, but uh, yeah, Penn State made it made its leap number seven. And, you know, they've got all the spotlight on them this week. Of course, uh, you know, it, Iowa, I, I think the national perception coming out of that Iowa game is you're kind of wondering if Penn State is good as they sort of were built up to be in such a short time uh, in advance of the game last week. But we'll see. Michigan, of course, coming off of uh, a win against Illinois that was not the prettiest, uh, coming off of a win against Iowa that was not the prettiest. And it's just a, a lot of holes that you could probably poke, probably more holes that you could poke in the Michigan game or team than the Penn State team but we'll be here to, to, to break it down we're going to get into it uh next episode probably going to talk a little more recruiting next episode as well but penn state an eight point favorite to open against michigan um says a lot about where both these teams are right now i would say yeah perception is 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 what it is in college football it's important in the recruiting trail it's important for rankings ultimately your win-loss record is is what either gets you into the the tournament at the end or not but yeah I think right now you know a lot of people when you looked at the game in August would have said Michigan would have entered this game as maybe a road favorite the way these teams were projected to develop Um, I I think a lot of people are are starting to recognize Penn State's uh, youth movement did not set them back and and in fact in 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 some ways certainly pushed them forward in their development as a program and then Michigan, the offensive you know, explosion, if people were anticipating that, just has not happened. Shea Patterson has not taken a step forward. As you said, we'll talk about Michigan versus Penn State in our second edition of the podcast this week and uh, plan to, to go further in depth on what figures to be another major recruiting event with the whiteout, with, with, with a night game. It's going to be a, a list that's very important for Penn State, and we'll talk about some of those priorities. But 
for the six uh, for the fourth time since 2000. This is a six and zero squad at Penn State. It's the second time it's happened under James Franklin. Of course, back in 2017, um, they beat Michigan to improve to seven and zero in October that year. Ultimately, going all the way to to Ohio State before suffering their first loss that season. Um, and as you said, Michigan coming to town. Um, it's it's a been a strange series. They, they've kind of delivered blows. We had not seen the Ohio State circumstances where it's just heart palpitations at the end of every one of those Buckeyes Nittany Lions matchups. These Michigan Penn State games, you can pretty much start right in the gamer uh, midway through the third quarter, the way we've seen them play out in the last few years. Interesting to note here, I, I'm going to get into this deeper with the story this week and we'll talk about it more. But when you look at, at, at just where Penn State was in, in 2016 during that Big Ten championship run, the very early stages of that, losing on the road at Michigan, had a chance to talk to Steven Gonzalez today, a fifth year senior on this team, spoke with Garrett Taylor immediately after the Iowa game, another guy who's been around the program now in year number five. When they look back at that 2016 season and, and you know first really starting to get in the groove as players, uh, you know that was a team that that through their first you know month and a season plus they were nine and eight as a group. Uh, you know started that year two and two. That second loss was against Michigan, and now you know it's it's interesting to see the dynamics of this locker room. And I mentioned this on the podcast. Uh, every the buy-in is at an all-time high when you ask everybody. But it's really interesting because you've got guys like P.J. Mustafer, who we spoke with today. You've got guys like Noah Kane. The Penn State that they know, the Penn State that recruited them, and the Penn State that they ultimately joined as freshmen was a team that was already establishing itself, uh, hanging around the top 10 rankings, knocking on the door of college football playoffs. And it's really interesting because you do have the older guys on this roster who, you know, they remember the days where, where this team was hovering around 500. People were starting to get antsy about James Franklin. It's just remarkable to see as game day returns again for the third straight year. That's quite a feat. It, it kind of tells you where the national perception is and a major chance for Penn State to take a step forward. But looking back at Iowa, uh, Sean, Noah Kane, Michael Mennett split the Offensive Player of the Week awards for the staff, and and, and I, you retweeted when I put the about Mennett getting that award, and and you said he's playing all Big Ten football. I'm inclined to agree, and and so is Stephen Gonzalez. I I would put uh, it's tough to to label this because I think the the offensive line has been good, and I don't think people are are willing to jump on board with that. And I get it because the the, the gauntlet is still in front of them. I think uh, Michael Mennett's playing really well. I actually think Will Fries is playing better than Stephen Gonzalez. Um, but uh, it's it's really interesting to see where this offensive line is. You know, they didn't start off too hot against Iowa, but most of that was on Sean Clifford. I mean, going back and looking at it the second time, Clifford was deer in the headlights guy. He had a, actually ample protection on that first sack, and it just turned around and, and didn't re- really work out well for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, Michael Mennett's been playing well. Fries has been playing well. Gonzalez had a good game last week. It's And Rasheed Walker is probably the most pleasant surprise up there when you take a look at him going against the former five-star and A.J. Uh, Epinesa. Uh, he had a couple of, of lapses, and that's going to happen. But for, for the first six games, for the first half of the season, I mean, he's he's far along for where you helped he would be. So yeah, I think this offensive line is, is, is probably not getting enough credit. Um, and going back to the other player of the week, Noah Kane, of course, stepped up, did his thing. Um, I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about running backs because that's what we do every week. But uh, yeah, this offense just continues to to, to sort of uh, chip away at what it can be. Yeah, and 100 plus uh, for Noah Kane on the ground, second consecutive game. He has done that. 
Collectively, Penn State running backs have produced four 100-yard games, two for Kane, one for Devin Ford, one for Journey Brown through these first six games. A defensive player of the week and, and a guy who it turns out uh, sh- you know, was the guy who is, was sharing with the team on Friday night, uh, basically where you know you, you get an emotional connection with, with a veteran in the locker room and, and you know it's a way to fire up the team and, and, and kind of you know continue to galvanize the team the night before. And then he goes out there on Saturday and puts together one of the best performances of his his career, maybe the best performance. He was uh, really impressive last year against Wisconsin, but uh, came up huge. He was a guy who always seemed to be disrupting Nate Stanley, and uh, he is the defensive player of the week um, from the Penn State staff. Yeah, Robert Windsor, uh, you know, had a, had an argument for Big Ten Player of the Week. Uh, second week in a row, Penn State, uh, a guy made a, a strong argument for it and did not get it. He had the the one and a half uh, tackles for loss, had the sack. I mean, he was just all over the place the other night. And that's really as a bonus. I mean, anything that you can get from him as a pass rusher, I mean, he's you want him to take up space inside. But uh, anytime he can get to the quarterback, you know he's willing to do it. He, see, he sees himself as a pass rusher. But, you know, in this defense, I mean, you, you, your defensive ends are usually the guys that get to the quarterback. So, Really manhandled the inside uh, this week. Also worth pointing out, uh, PJ Mustafer was really good. Antonio Shelton was really good. Um, so just uh, I think everybody's sort of played off of Robert Windsor. And when you can get him, when you can get your senior to get out there and 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 provide you with some sort of momentum like that, I mean, you get you got to feel really good about where you're at. Yeah, Windsor spending a lot of time in the backfield, uh, two and a half t- uh, tackles for a loss, I believe it was, and then a, a sack and a half in this contest. And overall, now halfway through their season, uh, this defense are ranking second in scoring defense, 8.2 points per game. They have not given up more than 13 points in a single game all season. And then talking about hanging around the backfield, uh, Penn State, 27 sacks through six games. Uh, that's a four and a half average tied for second in the FBS uh, and they are also third in the country, 9.8 tackles per loss. So that whole and defense. thanks for that. Front- I, sh- I shorted him a tackle for loss and a half a sack. <laughs> so thanks for that. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the totals have been impressive on a week to week basis. And as we'll get to in a moment, particularly so as, as Big Ten play has developed, but the rotation clearly working. Uh, you know, it's, it's been really impressive to see what they've been able to put out there uh, going two, three deep along that defensive front. And, and Windsor, of course, a, a staple of that group as a starter. Uh, field position was huge, Sean. And, and a guy who played a, a, just a paramount role in that was Blake Gillikin. Uh, he, he put his skills on performance. And it was after he took a really a, a tough hit where we wondered coming out of intermission whether Jordan Stout was going to have to step up, handle the punt roll. We saw him actually during warmups, uh, you know, out there on the field punting. I- I'm guessing that's something that Jordan Stout usually does, but it's something that we were specifically tuned in more. Uh, he- they didn't need to use him because Blake Gillikin stepped up. He actually earned Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week for his performance, and he is the first punter out of Penn State to do that since Jeremy Boone back in 2009. You look at this in a five-point game, 17-12, to 12, where every yard, every inch really seemed to matter. Hawkeyes average starting point for their possessions, Sean, 18-yard line, their own 18-yard line. Gillikin, five of seven punts inside the Iowa 20, three of those inside the Iowa 10, and we have already discussed how well the Penn State defense has done through six games. You give them that kind of opportunity, sets the stage for them to force a punt, force a turnover. Either way, get the ball to your offense in a good spot, and conversely, Penn State started their average drive 34-yard line, so huge, huge advantage, and Blake Gillikin at the centerpiece of that. It allowed them to split those critical uh, categories that they say. Of course, they won turnovers 2 nothing. They won field position, then they lost penalties, and they lost uh, chunk plays. So you don't see that. That's not uh, typically the split that you see, but field position went a real long way in, in, in just... 
pinning that Iowa offense, which isn't going to scare anybody, wasn't going to do anything, uh, pinning them back the further back they could go. I mean, you, you just put yourself in a position to win that game and win a win an Iowa style ball game, which is what we said on Saturday night was the most impressive thing is that Penn State adapted to the style of ball game that 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 Iowa sort of made them play and, and really made the most of it. You mentioned penalties in there. Um, I know that perked up the ears of some of our listeners. I will say our very own Mark Brennan did bring up the subject with James Franklin at the press conference Tuesday afternoon, asked if he had heard from uh, Big Ten officiating uh, this week or since the since the game. Uh, Franklin took a few moments and uh, said he had, but declined to get into specifics. I don't know if he exactly got any kind of answers that he was looking for, uh, much less what Nittany Lions fans were searching for. But you come away with the win. Um, Sean, you're working your way through that film again. Looking forward to checking out your second look uh, weekly staple on on Lions 24-7 and and kind of what stood out to you. But so far, um, you mentioned Sean Clifford kind of rebounding and, and kind of settling in after a rough start where he kind of forced a sack upon himself. It didn't see the offensive really getting a groove until later in the second quarter and much of that was because KJ Hamler did KJ Hamler things but what what to you are some common themes uh whether it's individual position wise uh working your way through that well I, I was a lot more impressed with the offense than I was thought than I thought I would be based on the uh the, the eventual output uh of course the, they had a couple scores wiped off the board but for the most part I, I thought they ran the ball well thought the offensive line handled itself well um Iowa was clearly sitting back trying to take away chunk plays. They they, uh, paid a lot of attention to K.J. Hamler, which is sort of the theme that we see every week. So so I was impressed with what the offensive line was, was ready to do. Uh, or came ready to play. Iowa really sold out to take away anything down the field. Penn State really didn't even try anything down the field. I saw some some different things, some some different formations. Penn State tried to mix some things up early, and uh, I don't know if you, you got Clifford thinking too much or if you got Clifford, you know, sort of out of sync and out of the rhythm. Um, but really, was not the start they were hoping for. It was it was really interesting to see his progression because he, he didn't play well, um, and that's something that when you take away this and, and put it uh, juxtapose this game in the first half of the season, I mean he's still clearly learning on the job. He's still clearly you know just a split second slow on some decisions, and then he, you know when he just sort of uh, takes off and goes, you know he can do some th- some really nice things, which is kind of surprising if you if you watch the second play of the game you saw Jahan Dotson run a wide open across the middle of the field everybody saw it I mean our message board almost uh, crashed because of it um, that's probably a play that he makes in the third quarter and that's not just a that's not just an Iowa thing that's something we've seen from him in the last couple of weeks so um, interested to see his in-game progressions go you know once he gets settled because when he goes to Columbus and that happens that's going to be seven points or 14 points for Ohio State. I mean, that's something that he can't, that, that he's got to get under control. So I like where the offense is at uh, to a point. And I, but I think it's fair. I think it's more criticism than, or excuse me, critique than criticism to say that, that Sean Clifford needs to get better. Sean Clifford needs to um, really step up in a couple of different ways because if he can, they can get rolling and they can do some, some pretty special things. I mean, you're talking about on-the-job training for Sean Clifford and, and you know what he's done. They are 6-0. It didn't start the game well at all. It was maybe some of the worst football we've seen from Sean Clifford to this point in the season. But look how he finished it. You know, he, 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 we give a lot of credit to Noah Kane, uh, but we mentioned on the postgame show, third and 10 on, on that touchdown drive, he goes gets you 11 on, on, with his feet. And more importantly, the number I keep going back to uh, with him in a lot of these games, zero. 
in terms of no fumbles, uh, no interceptions. I am stunned he didn't fumble the ball in this game. He took some shots. By the way, uh, Franklin says uh, he's got to get at least a Little League understanding of how to slide. Uh, It's something that we talked about in the postgame show. He can't be taking those kind of shots. But I think this kid's fearless, and and what he gives you at this stage is going beyond the box score. That's a cliche thing. But I think there are quarterbacks that you look at the and you see, oh, you know, may not be a high completion percentage in a game, maybe not a lot of yards. And they really aren't adding much else to a team. But Sean Clifford, he is loving life right now as Penn State's starting quarterback. And I think this team, you know, they're responding to that in a lot of ways. And it's good to see for a young quarterback um, as things progress. And just really quickly, I know our listeners have been you know, kind of keyed in on this uh, during the season. But down at Mississippi State, you know, how much do we put the spotlight on this quarterback conversation all summer about how we're going to watch how things were trending? You know, Sean Clifford's the quarterback of the number seven team in the country. I don't know what would have happened for Tommy Stevens if he stayed here, but he is going to enter this next game for Mississippi State as the declared backup quarterback to freshman Garrett Schrader. Joe Moorhead confirming that at his press conference this week. So um, not what you want to see. No one wanted to see Tommy Stevens, um, you know, struggle down there and injuries have unfortunately been a prevalent part of his situation. But it, at this stage, uh, considering Sean is also a redshirt sophomore, it, I mean, Franklin's decision to, to not name a starter, to give Sean a chance to go win this based on what they saw, uh, hindsight 2020, but it sure does look like the right call. Yeah, and Joe Joe looks beaten right now down at Mississippi State. Uh, Tommy looks beaten uh, in more ways than one at Mississippi State. They lost to a bad Tennessee team this weekend. I don't know, man. That's uh, that's not a great situation down there. So we'll see what happens. You know, as those SEC boosters become a little less patient with his uh, with his style and everything like that. I mean, it's it's gonna be interesting to see where he stands in a couple of months. So. Um, but, but, but going back to Clifford, I mean, I, I, I think it's okay. And I think a lot of people are sort of, uh, you know, overprotective of him because he is a first year starter because he, he does have a learning curve and that's great. But yeah, I mean, this, this next stretch of these next two games, and then of course, Ohio state's looming on the horizon as well. I mean, he's got to take a step forward. We talked about it, uh, after the pit game came back and responded very well against Maryland, took a step back against Purdue. Last week, you know, he won on the road in Iowa, and that's that's what you really got to take away from this game. That's that's a really really tough thing to do for a first year quarterback without much experience. He he did a good job there, but in terms of uh, ball placement, in terms of decision making, in terms of keeping his head up and not, uh, I guess not re- not causing his own sacks as he did uh, early in the game against Iowa. I mean, he's got some some things to work on, but uh, you know, you've seen some positive things too. You know, once he gets going and once he you know sort of. Uh, can start freewheeling a little bit, stop thinking as much, maybe not really worrying about uh, the coverage as much in the turn in, in terms of dumping it off or or going short to Fryermuth or doing anything like that. That's when he's sort of at his best. So um, I, I still think he's prone to you know he probably could have a a pretty bad mistake at some point just based off of how he's handled uh, the way that defenses have adjusted to him pre snap. Um, but still, I mean, from where he's at right now, he's protected the football, put up some points. You'd like to see him be a little better against Pitt and Iowa, but really, I mean, six games in, you're six and zero. Trace McSorley was four and two at this point in his career, so um, you know you got to tip your hat to Clifford, but still think that he can get better. And once he does, again, I think this offense can really take the, the next step. And if this offense takes the next step against the teams that uh, that are lined up in front of it, I mean that 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 is, I mean that's a three and zero stretch where we're talking about taking two, maybe taking or being one and two or taking two and one, two from two from three. So if they can get three and zero out of this stretch and this offense can get where it needs to get, man, that's uh that's something that's saying something. That's a statement on a national level when you're going into the last part of that schedule. 
Yeah, and of course Ohio State on beaten still, and Minnesota on beaten still. We'll see where their season takes them, but Penn State will be making a trip uh, to Minnesota later in the year. Maybe it's a really uh, interesting game, yeah. man. I'm just, I, I still don't buy Minnesota, and they beat Nebraska without their without their starting quarterback and uh, Adrian Martinez. Um, but uh, it's uh, man, eight no uh, a potential eight no versus eight no team. I mean, you got to you, you had to be good at some point, you know. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens there. But uh, in terms of uh, that offensive backfield, though, Kane has obviously become a story, as we mentioned. Um, one of the probably the most notable takeaway for me from James Franklin's press conference this week was a little bit of clarity on the offensive backfield. He's been very reluctant to go into specifics on any one of these individual four players. He's really wants to kind of put an umbrella over all four and, and, and focus on how collectively they all have the ability to shine. Um, but it wasn't quite as cautious in this case because in the situational circumstances that Penn State has faced lately, that four-minute offense, it's Noah Kane's job right now. You, you kind of set aside any kind of scripted uh, rotation. We saw it in, in crunch time on the road against Iowa. Uh, it speaks volumes about where Noah Kane's ball security is, but more importantly, it speaks volumes to his ability to pick up these yards and, and not get buried in the backfield. Uh, like, it's what we've heard about him throughout, and I just want to really quickly uh, mention as well – Roll your eyes all you want out there, but Tariq Castro Fields this morning says they are now calling him Noah Gain. So take yeah, that for you, what you it can is. Roll your eyes. I'm, I'm doing it myself. So, <laughs> nah, that's but not I mean, it, obviously, the, this locker room is loving what they see, especially those guys on the defensive sideline. They're they're seeing a guy who's putting the game away on ice against Iowa. Whereas last year, under circumstances, how often did we see this this Penn State offense, even with a guy like Trace McSorley running the show back there, and an eventual second round NFL draft pick of Miles Sanders? They were going three and out, or maybe they'd pick up one first down and have to punt. They'd ask their defense to come back on the field, make a late stop. It didn't happen in key spots. You could say the same thing about 2017 when they had a renowned talent in Saquon Barkley. But right now, they're getting it done. It's a testament to the offense, but also to Noah Kane. Really quickly, Sean, four drives that stand out with him. Against Pittsburgh, he scored the go-ahead touchdown, and he was the catalyst on that drive. It ended up being the only touchdown of the second half in a 17-10 win. Seven touches on 13 plays. He gained 53 yards. His shortest gain, uh, I think, was three uh, three yards. He had six touches of four-plus, four of them going for seven-plus, including a 13-yard touchdown against Purdue. It wasn't a put-away drive by any means, but it did kind of give you a little bit of faith in the Penn State offense coming out of that one because they were completely stalled out. He shook them out of their lull. He had, uh, in that contest, five touches on seven plays in that drive, 54 yards. The shortest gain was two yards, and that was a touchdown run. All the other touches on that drive were eight-plus yards for him. And then I'm going to point to two against Iowa. Obviously, his touchdown drive where he capped it off with a five-yard run uh, pushed the lead to 17-6, to which obviously the way Penn State's defense was playing, the way Nate Stanley was playing at that point, it, it felt like it really put the game away. Ultimately, Iowa had another shot, uh, but you know, five touches on eight plays in that drive, 19 yards, nothing special there, but he only had one yard on the first carry. He had at least three on all others, continued to move the chain. Sean Clifford had a big run, and then that closeout drive where Penn State really didn't want to get the ball back to Stanley up. Uh, up by up by less than a touchdown there and, and and opening the door for a catastrophe late he had 7 yards in the first carry 
He had a third and three play where he got five yards and he followed that up with another five yard run. A couple plays later, Sean Clifford took a knee. They went to the locker room. Noah Kane was over 100 yards and he was again kind of the talk of the town. Um, and aside from the officiating, when you look at the kind of the post game uh, discussions, Noah Kane was the center of that. So those four drives stand out and I think he's going to get more opportunities. But this is a kid who already has that, that game winning drive to his credit against Pitt. Obviously, a lot of game had to play out after that. And then we saw what he did late against Iowa very quickly through the first half of his freshman year, establishing himself as someone the staff can trust and, you know, really lean on in these times. And we talked about how important it is to avoid third and longs, second and 11s when you're trying to drain the clock, other teams burning timeouts, and they're avoiding that when he's in the game. Penn State's last 13 plays were all runs. I'm not sure the last time we could have said that. And, you know, Penn State does like to use the pass in the four-minute drill or the four-minute offense, but hey, if it's working, man, just go for it. And they they did a good job protecting the ball. I I think they knew what they were up against in an Iowa offense that was going to have to score twice to beat you or tie you, Um, and and they took that into account. But, I mean, no hitches, no slants, none of that stuff that they've gotten away with at times or haven't gotten away with at times in the four-minute offense. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Noah Kane. I mean, I'm still, I still don't think I'm ready to say he needs to get all the carries, but because, because honestly, looking back at the game the other night, I thought all the running backs did okay. I mean, the, no, I thought Devin Ford looked really good. Journey Brown, when he was asked to do some things, looked really good. Ricky Slade, uh, just continue to feel bad for him because he's got no space to run whatsoever, ever. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Noah Kane does does need to dominate carries, but I don't think he needs to get all the carries. I guess that makes sense. Um, but to, to see that four-minute offense work as it should, I believe James Franklin said they tried a couple of different things, uh, different, different concepts that they thought coming into, uh, coming into the game would really help them out. It seemed to work. And, man, uh, Noah Kane, when he's falling forward, seven, uh, seven yards on first down is a heck of a lot better than three yards on first down. Yeah, 15 carries in the second half. The other three running backs combined for the game in totality, uh, 12 carries for those three together. We're going to come back, talk a little bit of midseason superlatives, who's standing out so far halfway home through the regular season for Penn State. Really quickly, a word from our advertisers. Before we turn our attention forward to the second half of the season, I uh, wanted to, to take some time, Sean and I, to, to review some of the, the notable trends, notable performances through these first six games. Uh, a couple things stood out, though, in the last three games, which is, represents the start of the Big Ten play since the bye week. There was two uh, seemingly uh, two aspects that were really stressed over everything it felt like going into the bye week. One was third down conversion rate on offense. The other was getting after the quarterback and bringing him down on defense. Third down conversion rate really stands out right now, Sean. They were 23% conversions in the first three games, went into the bye week. Since then, they've come out, they have, uh, they're above 50% third down conversions in every single one of their Big Ten games. I wanted to make that important because uh, so people don't think it's skewed by the Maryland performance or anything like that. They're above 50% each one of these games, 10 of 19 in their most recent against Iowa, and overall, 56% they are converting their third down opportunities. That's 27 of 48 through three Big Ten games. And I feel like that is just a staggering number when you look at where they were through three games. It, it was it was something that I, I want to say they were ranked like 123rd or lower among 130 FBS squads through those first three games. Been a completely different trend since they emerged from the bye week. Yeah, that 10 of 19 versus Iowa is really the one to take away for, too because, I mean, that's uh, – that's that's going to get it done at Kinnick. I mean, you don't say that about a ton of those stats, but three of five in the fourth quarter, ten of nineteen overall, and that's the that's the big takeaway there. Um, I mean, it's just 
it's completely different than what we saw early. You know, they were putting up points, everything. You know, they, they weren't having as many third down opportunities because they were blowing teams out and things like that over the first two weeks. But, you know, they, 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 they've taken the strides they need to do. They're running the ball on first down much better to set them up in a position. And I think the down and distance is really what you would take that third, uh, uh, you know, really take that th- those third down numbers with. So they've done, they've made improvements, made small improvements. Uh, they're, I think they're winning tight, in tighter quarters and doing a good job up front. And I think that's really where you see those third downs sort of take off. And in terms of getting after the quarterback, you've seen progress there as well. Now, now these numbers are a little skewed in, in each case, pre-buy and post-buy by, by one singular game. They had seven in the opener against Idaho in terms of sacks, but then they had 11 in, in total in those first three games, uh, bringing down the quarterback after the buy 16 sacks in the last three games of course 10 of those came against Purdue uh, they've never had more more sacks than that this century in a game so th- that speaks volumes but uh, it just feels like even when they're not getting sacks they are consistently applying pressure uh, we'll see how that goes but but obviously they did not make things easy on Nate Stanley it was only a couple sacks against Iowa I believe felt like more because they did get pressure on him uh, they forced him into to some some pretty rough decisions uh, throws downfield and rushing some of those throws that just did not look pretty so uh, sometimes the stats aren't necessarily reflected but again being able to go to your third defensive end and having that guy be someone like Adiza Isaac or or Jason Away when you go down to your second guy or Daniel Joseph off the bench uh they've just done a really nice job of sustaining pressure and and, and you know I think those sack numbers will continue to bear monitoring but I, I don't think you're going to see that slow down uh in any way I think they've done a nice job of pressuring with the second level as well. Ellis Brooks has gotten to the quarterback a few times. Micah Parsons, we know, can get to the quarterback. Cam Brown's been back there. I'm not sure if he's gotten home yet uh, or, or recently, but uh, I think they've done a nice job with the linebackers getting back there, and I think that's really where they're at their best. I mean, if you you know you can get pressure with four, and they've done that. They've done a pretty good job of that. Of course, Tony had the big game two weeks ago. Gross Matos has been has been solid across the board, um, but uh, it's it, it's really – when you bring that fifth guy, because you've got to account, you know, you got five guys for four guys, and you're usually accounting for somebody on one of those defensive ends. When you can bring another guy from that second level, that's really when, when they've been at them their best. And these quarterbacks have scrambled, and these quarterbacks have made mistakes because of it. You know, even there was a game, there was a play early in the Iowa game where, where Stanley's rolling out to his right, Cam Brown comes and slips. Uh, Ellis Brooks is right behind him and, and really Stanley gets uh, moving to his right and tries to throw across his body and puts it in the dirt that could have been a first down so just little things like that you know the the, the linebacker uh, sacks really haven't shown up on the stat sheet all that much but they're making an impact in getting to the quarterback as well yeah they have guys who can erase mistakes because of their athleticism and, and as we've said um, there's just not really many opponents on this schedule maybe two maybe one uh, that you're going to face that that can out athleticism Penn State football right now, and I just coined that term. Let, let's get into some midseason superlatives here, Sean. I'll quickly run through this list. And six games, it's a sample size. It's getting more significant by the week, but still we'll find out where it goes from here. Um, I want to start with offensive MVP, and, and, and I'm going to go right back to Sean Clifford. Uh, he is a guy that I think when you look at the valuable part of the MVP discussion, uh, this could have really gone in a different direction if he showed up and he wasn't ready to take on his, his leadership role, 
He wasn't ready to, to handle the circumstances with Tommy Stevens leading, leaving and, and needing to step up at, in this summer. Uh, and I think entering the season, being a guy who has, has evaluated himself pretty candidly after these games and tells me he does that, uh, you know, in, in between these games that you can, you can kind of see that product on the field. But I also like that he has kind of taken his punches, uh, both physically and mentally when, when he's had some rough patches and then bounced back and responded as he did late in the Iowa game. Um, and, and I think overall you're seeing a guy that, that is a very confident player, whether or not he's putting up four touchdowns in the first half, like he did against Maryland or Purdue, or if he's coming off, you know, a, a performance that is not pretty in the stat sheet. He's excited to get these wins. He's a six and zero starting quarterback at this point. He's completing 64% of his passes, 9.8 yards average. That, that's a pretty impressive. It puts him near the top. And again, the number I keep going back to uh, 15 touchdowns against two total turnovers. And by the way, he, he he's a second leading rusher on this team and a team that has used a lot of running backs. Uh, he's getting it done with, with, with his, with his legs. Again, you want to see him kind of save himself a little bit in terms of taking some of these shots, but he has shown a willingness uh, and, and the ability to go get after it and move the chains with his feet, which is huge because you take that away from this offense and it just isn't what it needs to be. I picked two. I assumed that you would take KJ Hamler because I think he's the pick right now. Uh, 26 catches, 455 yards, five touchdowns. And what he does to a defense to make him or to make them pay attention to him, I think is notable and it's opened opened things up for other people. I also have Michael Mennett down here. I think he's been, you know, as steady as anybody up front. And really, when you take a look at the offense, Clifford's been up and down. Hamler's been, you know, he's, I think he's been their best player, but, you know, you don't always get that production coming out of that spot. Uh, Dotson's been good. Firemuth's been good. But in terms of across the board, uh, I have Michael Mennett as the offensive MVP right now. Um, I don't think there's a just a, a no-brainer on this offensive unit. So I'll, I'll go with Mennett. Like I said, I think he's playing at an all-Big Ten level. Of course, the, the biggest challenges lie ahead, and we'll see where he's at in a couple of weeks or in a month from now. Um, but really, just his play has been really, really good. I think he's been the Penn State's Offensive Player of the Week two or three times so far. And I think that's, that's you know, when you take a look at the tape, and I know everybody likes to, to, to bitch about the offensive line, but when you take a look at the tape, they've actually been a pretty solid unit defensively I don't think there's a no-brainer there which I think speaks more to the production you're getting across the board but for me the attention shifts to the defensive end spot I think both Shaka Tony and Etor Grossmatos would be fine selections here both have five and a half sacks for me it's Grossmatos I think he's really answered the bell in Big Ten action he's got at least a tackle for loss in each of these games uh, again tied for the team leading sacks uh, he has the team leading tackles for loss at this point eight and a half uh, looking to get a second consecutive 20 tackle for loss kind of season and I think more than anything is what he does to set the stage for everyone else in this defensive front, the attention that we see paid to him on a weekly basis, uh, that is value as well. So again, I, I think you could go with either defensive end and, and maybe look at a linebacker here. Uh, Tariq Castro Fields, love the way he's playing, but uh, for me, I, I kind of go back to the guy who was you know penciled in for this entering the season. Yeah, I, I have Gross Matos as well, but I'll, I'll go with Micah Parsons here for the, yep. the sake of argument. Uh, six tackles for loss. He's got. He's just got one sack, and that's you know you, you got five and a half sacks for uh, for Gross Matos and eight and a half tackles for loss. So you know those the, those sacks count into that tackle for loss. So I think a little bit more productive in the run game. Micah has has really come around. You know you'd like to see him get his hand on the ball. Um, he's got one pass breakup, a couple of quarterback hurries. So you'd like to see him get after the quarterback, maybe uh, and, and finish those plays a little bit more. But I think he's he's really come along as a linebacker. He's done the the things that Brent. 
Clint Pry has asked him to do in terms of, hey, take a couple of steps that we tell you to take and then let your instincts take over. He was phenomenal uh, a couple of weeks ago. Of course, he missed most of that Maryland game, so I think that kind of stunts his numbers a little bit, but still leads the team in tackles with 31. So I like where Micah's been. Uh, Again, you know, you you can talk about Gross Matos. Shaka Tony's been very good as well. Probably, you know, that's the thing about Shaka Tony is, you know, he's put up some good stats. He's also, you know, they share the team lead with five and a half sacks and he's got six tackles for loss. But, you know, there were a couple of games where he showed up on the tape and didn't put up the big numbers. I think the Buffalo game was was one of those, or Buffalo or Pitt, one of those two in the first three weeks, um, really did a good job there. So you can make some arguments there and and, and really be pleased. I, I think that's the thing about offense. You're kind of scraping for a guy and, and they've done a nice job because they've spread the ball around and done a really nice job. Um, but on defense, you're like, man, here's a guy, here's a guy, here's a guy. And it's, it's a little bit easy. It, it's tough. It's tougher to find. It's tough to find guys on both sides, but for different reasons. Absolutely. I'm with you. Uh, offensive uh, freshman, uh, you know, I, I, tip of the cap here to Rashid Walker. We're including red shirt freshman. Maybe he's your pick. Hard not to go with Noah Cain, though, considering the last couple games he's coming off of. He's now got more than 20 carries, more than any other running back on this team through six games. Leads the team with 310 rushing yards and leads all players with six touchdowns on the season. 5.4 yards per clip and and many of them coming in key moments when you want to move those chains. So hard to go against Noah Cain. Yeah, I, I'll agree with you. I'll go with Kane because I'll talk about Walker a little bit later. So yeah, I'll go with Kane defensively. I, I think that uh, it's what's interesting was when I was looking over the numbers and I was looking over the depth charts and things like that. We talked a lot uh, before the season about you know the freshmen that would have to step up. Of course, we talked about Keaton Ellis a lot. We talked about uh, Brandon Smith or Lance Dixon. Of course, Dixon's heading for a red shirt now. The guy that I've sort of highlighted as, as, as making the biggest splash and making the most plays, Adisa Isaac's been really good. And he's he's only played in, in a couple of games so far, so it, it's been tough. Brandon Smith has found it tougher to crack, and I think he's still going to be really, really good. Uh, Keaton Ellis, uh, the, the, those first two corners when they've gone to the tougher part of the schedule so far, John Reed and Tariq Castro-Fields have played a lot of that. So really hasn't, hasn't been a ton of guys that you can go to. Trent Gordon should also be noted here. But I, I like what Adisa Isaac's done so far. I, I I just I really really like the potential that he's shown and just his football ability and and, you know you don't always get that from a New York City kid his football ability has put him where he needs to be in several spots and I I really like the future that they're coming up with here yeah he he stepped and you know what I I, I came down here to 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 two defensive ends, one redshirt, one true. Uh, Jason Oway and Adisa Isaac, and I, I do give the nod to Adisa Isaac. Uh, you know, he had that big performance against Maryland and, and two and a half sa- tackles for loss, a sack and a half, and uh, you know, he's a guy that, that is really putting together. We we heard you know from from the coaching staff. I think we've talked about it on the podcast. Came in ahead of where Jason was last year. Both really impressive athletes, but he got to enroll early. A little bit more uh, of an established, I think, quite a bit more established as a high school football player than Jason was. Um, and at this point in the season, you got to really like. What getting at him we fully see why he got the green light not to redshirt I think one other guy that's worth noting there's a lot of freshmen involved in that defensive backfield at cornerback right now I think Trent Gordon has shown well for himself as a redshirt freshman you may need to replace both starters at cornerback in 2020 and right now you've got on this on this uh, three deep you've got four freshmen involved there three of them true freshmen Keaton Ellis Marquise Wilson who's on there now with Donovan Johnson uh, out for a little bit of time now and then uh, Joey Porter Jr. but Trent Gordon and you know definitely bears bears monitoring here, but I think Adiza Isaac more of a high impact guy. Um, the other superlative, uh, pleasant surprises. Um, you know, let's let's talk about the positives. Let's go to offense, and I think I know where you're heading here. 
Yeah, I'm, I've actually got two because I figured you would pick the other one. But we highlighted Will Fries before the season as a guy that uh, Penn State needed to to get something out of more than they've gotten in the past. And I think there's no question about uh, where he's been uh, playing at a very high level, but playing better than he's played in his Penn State career. He's done a really good job. I'll go with Rasheed Walker here because we talked about all summer about expect those freshman moments from Rasheed Walker. There, there haven't been many of them. I mean, that's it's been really remarkable to watch him out there. Uh, just the ceiling is is so high. I mean, this this kid, you don't want to throw uh, draft stuff out, but I mean, this is a potential first, maybe second round pick uh, in a couple of years from now. So he's been incredibly impressive. Of course, people are going to point to the Iowa game and say he had a couple of bad plays here, but uh, you know, on the whole, he played <laughs> yeah. really well. He played really well against a, a guy that's probably going to be a first round pick as well. Yeah, so, you want to throw uh, the NFL draft stuff in there? Throw that to AJ Epinesa, which he which he got a handful of. That, that kid's good, man. He's real good. And you know, Rasheed Walker held his own, I would say, um, and and really over the first six games has been. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I hate to say as expected, but probably better than expected. He looks like a former top five offensive tackle prospect, and and he looks like he's followed the blueprint that Penn State's laid out, and and they love what they're getting from him on a week to week basis. Stephen Gonzalez today at the press conference says we we know what we're going to get physically from Rasheed Walker. That's not going anywhere. It's the mental strides that they see him make week after week after week from game one to game six. He said it's been pretty stark, really cutting down on those mental errors, and 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 that allows him to take advantage of things physically. I'll go with Journey Brown because he's a guy that. I, you know, I kind of buried him in this running back group when we found out that he was suspended for the summer, and, and we've seen how that that is a talented bunch and the freshmen that have come in. You know, look, he, he certainly has not been as involved on the ground of late with Noah Kane's emergence, but he's still a guy who's second among running backs in, in rush attempts, second among them with 233 yards. He's got three touchdowns. He's averaging 6.7 yards per carry, and, and I think that was a question on Journey Brown. You know, is this a guy that's going to be able to get it done between the tackles? He looks like a pretty complete running back when he's given opportunity to flash. He's also shown it as a receiver at a touchdown reception in a long run uh, against Maryland. So uh, I'm going to go with Journey Brown and, and give him a tip of the cap here for what he's done through the first six games of this season. Um, when we look at uh, pleasant surprise on defense, Sean, who comes to mind for you? To me, it's the defensive tackles. And when we talked to, uh, there were two spots in the offseason that we were kind of uh, iffy on defensive tackle and safety. Now safeties in the last couple of games have come along and done, done a pretty good job. But uh, really, to be honest with you, I mean, these defensive tackles have taken that sort of taken that next step. They found four of them. They're rolling with four of them. Fred Hansard's even stepped up. But I think P.J. Mustafer has come a long way in the last couple of weeks. And Antonio Shelton, uh, there's probably no more underrated player on that defense right now. You just don't think about uh, the impact that he's had. So, uh, I mean, that that front, uh, excuse me, those those top four guys on that depth chart, uh, really just have been very impressive. Of course, again, it's like the offensive line. They've got a gauntlet in front of them where it, the things take a little bit of a step up in the next couple of weeks. But really, those defensive tackles, I think you got to be happy with if you're Penn State. I'm going to go with uh, linebacker Ellis Brooks. He's someone who has really you know carved out his role at middle linebacker. Jan Johnson has been, as Franklin said today, steady Eddie along the way. He's a guy who certainly belongs in the football field, and I think he's had a nice, really nice season through six games. Uh, but I think Ellis Brooks, you know, he's come on. He's shown that he can get get after the quarterback a little bit. I know he did a lot of that damage against Maryland, two and a half sacks on the season, but uh, he's somebody that I think has impressed. He's been a key component here, and you can really look at that linebacker depth and be an important throw. Jesse Lucchetta in that mix as well, uh, but but I'll go with Ellis Brooks on the nod there, and Sean, we're looking at now second half breakout candidates. There are plenty to choose from, I think. That speaks to the youth of this team. Uh, when we look at offense, there's one game that one name that comes to mind that gets mentioned a lot of the message boards. I'm going to snatch this one. Justin Shorter, you know, uh, 
we're, we're, we're still waiting for that breakout moment. He's a guy still looking for his first college touchdown. He has been a guy who consistently is catching the ball when it's come his way. He missed a, essentially a game and a half uh, after that collision against Maryland. Came back, had a key first down uh, reception uh, yesterday. Or I'm sorry, Saturday. Uh, and, and he's a guy that, you know, I think you could probably put Daniel George, that whole exposition is a potential breakout Franklin, I think, feels like it's a matter of time for him. Could it be this week against Michigan? I don't know. The targets have not been there, but I'll tell you what. You look on the field, and and you see who Justin Shorter is working against on the defensive side of the football, and it sure feels like there's opportunities to get him involved. And maybe that requires Sean Clifford taking a chance, throwing one of those 50-50 balls. But I like the way Shorter is playing. He's very aggressive, too. There, he was playing through the whistle against Iowa, downfield as a blocker. Even after the whistle, a couple shoves against the Hawkeyes. I think that's a good indication of where he is mentally right now on the field. Yeah, I'll agree with you 100% on Shorter. It's it's something that we've been kind of been harping on for the last month or so. Granted, he was hurt a little bit, but he's got eight catches for 100 yards. I mean, what, he's got 10 targets this year? So, I mean, he's he's making the most of his opportunities. Had a really nice catch against Iowa the other night, but they're just not looking his way. And I think if they do, I think they're really going to benefit from it. So I'm not sure uh, what has to happen for that to happen because you can see some of the talent. You can see some of the flashing. But, yeah, I'm going to agree with you 100% on Shorter. I don't think there's any... Any guy that really jumps out at you on that offense other than him that really makes sense in this situation, I'd love to see more out of him, uh, especially in the coming weeks. Defensively, we know they go deep in a lot of spots. There's a lot of opportunities for guys to jump up. I think someone I just mentioned, Jason Oway, could see him have a strong second half. Not that he had a, a, a disappointing first half, but I think you're still looking for, for bigger numbers out of him. But to me, I'm going to go with the starter. I think Lamont Wade is really starting to hit his stride. A uh, couple games here in the Big Ten particularly, I thought he played very well. Uh, and I just feel like he's a guy out there that that confidence is key for Lamont Wade and he lost a lot of that confidence during early phases of his career with Penn State I think they're in a position right now where where he can be a kind of a tone setter at safety and I just love the way he's playing I love the way he seems to be leading back there as well so I'm going to pick him to, to finish strong this season and, and and you know further solidify what this defense is doing I have Ellis Brooks written down, but I'll go with P.J. Mustafer. Mm-hmm. Um, he's come along in the last couple of weeks, put up some numbers, had the forced fumble against Iowa, just uh, uh, just continues to to flash that top 100 talent that we've been talking about since he got here. So I'll go with Mustafer. One note on Owe, just the game looks just a little too fast for him still, and that's and that's in the first couple of quarters, specifically when the run game is still uh, involved and being a factor. I don't think he's played the run very well. I think that's something he's going to have to continue to develop. I think that's a reason they redshirted him last year but when he can go get the quarterback I think he can he can certainly be one of those guys but I'm going to go with Mustafa on this one and again with what Sean Spencer and Brent Pryor are able to do with that front it, it wouldn't surprise if, if it was Jason if it was Adiza um, you know Shane Simmons you are never surprised if someone steps up with some kind of multi-sack game because they are going to have an athletic edge in a lot of these matchups moving forward um, just just I think that whole defensive front uh, is a breakout candidate in its own right so uh, hard to go wrong in any of those directions but PJ Mustafer has shown sides of that really since the tail end of last year and he has just picked up right where he left off the the good thing for Penn State is Antonio Shelton is playing tremendous football. Robert Windsor is coming off one of the best performances of his career. Uh, so defensive tackle, as you've already alluded to, throwing Fred Hansard coming back from an injury. Uh, you really like where that spot is at. Uh, so you heard our superlatives. Sean has got a run. He's got some important dad duties to get to, so I'll close it out for us. Uh, we would have loved to have gotten to the mailbag today, but we're going to put that on hold and get to it on Thursday. Got a few really good questions on Twitter. If you if you go to our uh, Lions 24-7 Twitter handle right now, you'll see the retweet 
retweet of that mailbag request. It'll give you them all more time to, to get, make our decision tougher because uh, we, we picked out three of those questions. Uh, maybe we can add to that list. Maybe we can replace some if we get some better questions. So you got about 48 hours or so until we get to that uh, with our Thursday recording session. We're also going to dive into Michigan versus Penn State, the ins and outs of this. Josh Gaddis heading back to town as the Wolverines play caller has not gone according to plan so far for him in Ann Arbor. Obviously, a ton of history with James Franklin's staff dating back to his days at Vanderbilt. And Brian Doan, the one and only uh, national recruiting analyst with with uh, 24-7 Sports, is going to hop on with us on Thursday. Things uh, stay uh, as planned with that. And uh, it's always good to get insight from Brian. He'll talk to us about the key visitors that are going to be on campus, what it could mean for their recruitments moving forward. Theo Johnson is obviously the big one. And, and Theo Johnson, uh, the top tight end target on the board. And you could say maybe the top overall target on the board for Penn State right now. Caught up with Steve Wiltfong, 24-7 recruiting director. Uh, That is on our site right now at Lions 24-7. Theo providing a little bit of a preview for his visit, what he'll be looking for. Coming down to crunch time for him, Iowa still involved as well. He was at the game last week, saw Penn State, so we'll get to see them back-to-back weeks. He was at the Buffalo game earlier this year. Um, Certainly, it, it has done his homework on the Nittany Lions, to say the least. Um, in terms of uh, looking ahead a little bit, well, actually quite a bit, one quick note here, the 2020 season opener for Penn State, there's been a switch there. Nevada is out. Kent State is in. It will be Kent State's third trip to Beaver Stadium in a five-year span. They were uh, in town last year. Penn State handed them a 63-10 to loss. Um, we'll see wh- wh- where it goes from there. Nevada, 4-2 and two this year. They beat Purdue in their opener. Uh, they've been to 11 bowls in the past uh, 16, 17 years. So that, I think on paper, uh, you thought Nevada maybe posed a bigger threat um, out of the Mountain West Conference in that season opener next year. But we'll get to it when we get to it. Uh, but now they're out of conference schedule uh, is is set again. Uh, they will open September 5th, 2020 against the Kent State Golden Flashes, uh, then hit the road and visit Virginia Tech and return to town for a matchup against San Jose State before they enter their Big Ten play. But for now, we keep the focus on 2019. Uh, huge game coming up again. Penn State looking to approve the 7-0, continue their climb up national rankings, and take another step forward toward trying to reach Indianapolis for a Big Ten championship game, potentially punch their ticket to the college football playoff. But Again, only halfway home. So a lot to learn about this Nittany Lions squad still ahead. Join us at the Lions 24-7 tailgate. It'll be getting an early start on Saturday, I am sure. Hope to see you out there. Sean is always out there. I'm going to do my best to make it out for a bit. Um, Always great to to meet new people, talk about Penn State football, and uh, also to check out the food that people bring. That's always uh, an important aspect of everything as well. So uh, we'll see you Saturday, but we'll talk to you before then. A second edition of the Lions 24-7 24-7 podcast coming your way later this week. As I said, a lot of recruiting stuff, a lot of game previews, and we'll be back again late, late, late Saturday night. However, it turns out with the whiteout situation with Michigan, Penn State, we'll bring you a post-game podcast as we have done through the first six weeks. Uh, our last one against Iowa, I think it is nearing uh, record territory in terms of our listens on this podcast and it uh, very reflective of the great audience that we have. So thank you for your continued support. Thank you for always being engaged with us on social media and a special shout out to you VIP members. Uh, we have a special coming up as well for the duration of this week in through the weekend. So it's a good time to jump on board on the cheap as a VIP member of lines 24 seven, where we got your team scoop recruiting news, all that and more for now, stepping aside on behalf of super dad, Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue wishing you a great Tuesday 
and we'll talk to you soon on the Lions 24-7 podcast.